Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 40th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please email me at Rebecca at Home Bodies Yoga. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Home Bodies Yoga Podcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And hello, and really please do subscribe. I mean, of course, I love for you to rate and review, but really important that you subscribe because actually this podcast is going on a hiatus. I know I came in last episode saying that was it. We would always be every two weeks, but um, I have a lot going on right now, and I'm just realizing I don't have the time I need to commit to this, even though it is something I really love to do. I just, uh, there's only a finite amount of energy and time, unfortunately, and basically I looked at my schedule and something had to give. Um, something I haven't told you guys yet is that I am going back to school. Um, I've been thinking really hard about my next steps as I don't really think yoga teaching is in the cards for me ev- anymore, even though I truly, truly loved it. And I, it's an experience I'll have for the rest of my life. And who knows, maybe I'll come back to it, but it's just not right now in the cards for me. Um, so I decided I wanted to go back to school for nutrition. Um, and I, Specifically, I really want to work with young families and low-income families and just um, uh, and teach workshops about how to make low-budget meals and how to make meals your kids will eat because as the parent of a child who is very particular, I feel like it's something that I really see the importance of. Um, and as I worked as an AmeriCorps volunteer right when I got out of college and Eating is so important. Food is so important. You know, you can't live if you don't eat. It's like sort of the baseline of life, one of the baselines of life. So um, it's something that I saw really important when I volunteered with WIC and also when I volunteered at this cool project called Project Open Hand, which provides meals and food to people with uh, life-threatening illnesses or sometimes um, who are in hospice care. So yeah, um, I am switching careers. So for that, I'm going back to school. I did not take one science class in college because I majored in creative writing. So I have a lot of work to do. I'm right now, I'm in City College and I'm taking a lot of the prereqs that are required for the nutrition masters. Um, chemistry is the one I'm taking right now and it is time consuming and it's a new way of thinking for my brain, um, which don't let ever, anyone ever tell you that's not a yoga uh, for sure, because it's definitely expanding my mind and it's thinking in a different way I haven't thought ever or in a really long time. But I just need more time to devote to that and Mom and Hudson and I have some other things going on right now, which I'm not going to talk about right now, but just lots going on. Um, all good, but you know, I just can't be a superwoman, I guess, <laughs> as much as I'd like to try. Um, and it wouldn't seem right to keep doing this podcast, skipping my yoga practice because I didn't have time to do it at inc- and encouraging you to do your yoga practice. So I'm taking a little hiatus. Hopefully in a couple months, things will settle down a bit and I'll be able to come back. Um, but so make sure you really subscribe because that will help people to, or help you, not people. <laughs> Sorry. I think I'm a little nervous. It's really hard. Um, 
announcing that you're doing some you're not doing something you said you would do you can imagine or maybe you've done it there's something really like awkward about it even though I know no one's going to get like angry with me um but yeah there's something sort of strange about it anyway um yeah so subscribe because I'm coming back at some point I just can't really say exactly when because it sort of depends on a lot of different balls that I have in the air um yeah, but definitely thinking in a new way has felt very yogic to me. It's sort of like I need so much focus to do chemistry because it's something I haven't thought I haven't thought this way in so long and it's just a different way of thinking than the way my mind usually thinks. And there's something about it that feels very um meditative to me in a way when even when I'm getting it even when I'm doing a real crummy job at it, it feels meditative. So yeah, it's kind of a, a new way of thinking about a practice, I guess. I mean, chemistry is definitely a practice. <laughs> um, but I, part of the reason I was really influenced, actually, this sounds bad, but part of the reason I was really influenced to quit the podcast is that my interview today is with this brilliant and wise woman. Her name is Anna Rittner, and I actually met her because she, we, well, we worked at the same, I taught yoga at a studio where she practiced acupuncture, and then I became one of her acupuncture clients, and she is just empathetic and amazing and thoughtful and, like, one of the best listeners, honestly, I've ever encountered, and just so, everything she says feels like it's been so thought through and so yeah, I don't know another way to say it, but it just feels like you're talking to someone. She's not she's not old, but it feels like you're talking to someone with that kind of like old wisdom. And I know that you're going to love this interview, but part of the thing we really talk about is how important, how one of just like the base things for healing is rest and really letting yourself rest. Um, and I really took her words to heart, honestly, and, and, you know, it was kind of something I knew, you know, in the back of my mind, I kept saying, like, this is too much, this is too much, and then it's funny, that after I talked to Anna the next morning, I, like, got on my yoga mat, and the first thing in my brain was just, like, you gotta quit the podcast, (laughs) you gotta do it, Um, and it's a bummer, because I love doing this, but uh, hopefully it'll be back, and then, you know, maybe it'll be back, and I'll know it will, I can take you on my journey through my master's program and getting a job and all of that because I am pretty excited about it, even though it feels a million miles away because there's so many classes to be taken, but I'm, I'm really excited. Um, anyway, <laughs> more about Anna. She kind of talks about herself in the podcast, obviously. She introduces herself in her own words, but... But the things that I can tell you about Anna from my own experience is like you can just tell when you meet her she has this light shining from deep inside her like she's beautiful but that's not really what I'm saying like she has this like just light shining like her eyes are bright she has this like glow about her which is hard to explain but I think you know what I mean there are just people like that she's this like very attractive energy and not in a way that feels like manipulative it's this like attractive energy where you're like this is someone that's good for me to be around uh and we got to be friends at when we were both teaching or when I was teaching and she was practicing at this studio in Walnut Creek and um I she would give me rides home sometimes because back then I didn't have a car and it was like this bike ride and a BART ride it was this whole thing so she'd give me rides home and I can just remember having these like really wonderful conversations with her like she's not afraid to like 
go deep into something and really talk about something like you know you'd think like maybe a ride home with a coworker would be superficial but it never felt like that and she's actually the first person that made me realize that I might have anxiety which is wild because it seems so obvious but we were talking in the car and I was like yeah I've never I don't have a problem with depression like I just always wake up and I'm fine and she was like well you know there's a continuum between like depression and anxiety and she just kind of like let it rest she didn't say anything like she wasn't trying to diagnose me or anything but after that I started like thinking about it and I was like well I do have a hard time sitting down and I do sometimes like have these like panic attacks oh I wonder if it's like yeah, maybe there is something to that anxiety. And that was sort of in the back of my mind and has been there since I started therapy. So yeah, it's, it's definitely, she like really has opened my eyes to a lot and a lot of other really subtle and, and more major things um, when I was her client as well. So if you are so lucky as to live in, a, in either the Bay Area or in Sacramento, you should definitely go and see her. She is amazing like I, I can promise you that <laughs> um yeah her her uh, clinic is called monarch and um I will put it in the show notes she also mentions it at the end of the episode but she has really great advice in this podcast just about how to take care of yourself and the most important sort of the pillars of healing she also talks a lot about how she takes care of herself and it's really good to hear because she is you know, just a person like all of us with a lot of responsibility and a lot going on in her life. Yeah, I found her, found it to be her, or my conversation with her to be so inspiring. So without further ado, here is Anna Whitmer. Welcome, Anna. It's so nice to have you here. Well, hello, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm very excited to be here. Same. Um, we were talking a little bit about a little bit off air yesterday and I could hardly sleep. I was so excited to talk to you today. So <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's well, I'm glad to be here and just also like in conversation with you, because I feel like we always historically, we have had good conversations. Same. Um, so let's get started. Can you just tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Anna Rittner, and I am the founder of Monarch Acupuncture and Wellness, uh, which is a acupuncture herbal medicine clinic. Um, and now we have two locations. So the original location is in Walnut Creek in the Bay Area in California. And um, I've just opened a second location in Sacramento. Um, so it's, you know, myself, and then I have several associates, like awesome colleagues that work alongside me in the office. And, uh, our specialty is working with women's health. So we are typically seeing a lot of patients that are working on balancing hormones or, um, uh, trying to get pregnant, uh, recovering from pregnancy. Um, also, we see a lot of women that are going through perimenopause as well. All so important. And the more I go through each of those processes, uh, the more I realize how important it is. Hormones are everything, honestly. Hormones control literally every process in our body. They are so essential and so impactful. And I think any woman that's ever had the experience of getting their period and then saying, Oh my God, 
that's what's been going on this week. Um, anybody that's had that experience understands that like your hormones aren't just something that's happening to you that are isolated from you. They are you, um, they control our, you know, our literal brain and how our brain works. So, um, yeah, I, I am very passionate about working on hormonal health and women's health, just because I think, um, as women, we do have these rites of passage, um, that happen in our bodies, right? We go through, menarche. And then, um, some of us choose to go through, you know, pregnancy, the postpartum phase. And then of course we go through menopause. So just by nature of having a womb, we have all of these built-in, um, really profound physical, emotional experiences. And I think, you know, what's always been interesting to me is that in our modern medical system, there's not a lot of support for those processes. You know, um, a lot of pregnant women I work with feel like basically as soon as their baby's born, that's it. Like their doctor's not really interested in how they're doing, even though they've gone through this kind of quantum leap in their hormones. Um, and then the same thing for perimenopause, you know, I read an article recently saying that something like 80% of doctors don't feel well-equipped to handle the symptoms of perimenopause because they just literally don't get training in it in medical school. Um, even though it's like 50% of people that go through this biological process. So, uh, that's where I'm really passionate about what I do is that I'm, um, creating a space for women to kind of like be received and be witnessed as they're going through these changes. Yeah. And, um, I think that that space is so necessary. And I've always felt acupuncture to be this sort of like third space kind of between like talking to a friend and talking to a doctor where like, I, sometimes I'm like, I don't even need to lay there with the needles in me. Like, I just want someone to softly ask me how I am <laughs> and like, listen, like there's yeah. something about that that is like so powerful for someone to look at you and say like, oh, I believe you. Like that is something that's going on. Like I hear you like that is Definitely, you know, and to just like listen and hear and care and ask questions, um, you know, and I have had really good medical doctors, but they, they don't see it's like, okay, well, what's the symptom we can fix? And that's sort of it, um, you know, which, you know, like that's maybe just what's going on in the medical field right now. I can't explain that. But um. <laughs> I mean, I feel like part of it is that it's the way that the medical industry is structured like these, cause I have a lot of clients that are doctors and they're like, we don't have time, you know, mm -hmm. we get maybe like 10 minutes per patient. So medicine is no longer personalized um, like on the Western end. And it's, it's sad, I think for like patients and doctors that they're not getting that, um, that point of connection, but yeah, I, I love that you mentioned that because I think what, I guess I think sets me apart from other acupuncturists, just because Chinese medicine is a medical art, meaning there's a lot of different ways that people approach it and administer the medicine. Um, what I've always felt characterizes my practice is, um, my desire to provide deep witnessing of women. Um, so there's a lot of time that we spend talking. Um, there's a lot of me just asking questions and listening, and there's a lot of crying and there's a lot of, you know, 
people sharing their birth stories or people sharing experiences about pregnancy losses or experiences about their emotional well-being. Um, and I think, like you said, just to have that witnessed and received by another person in that setting where you're face to face with somebody is actually like a a big part of what the healing process is about, aside from the needles and the herbs and everything else. Yeah. And we're, we're going to get back to how the needles work because I am curious about that, but I also am curious because I've definitely had some traumatic events and have talked to healers about it. And the thing that amazes me is, you know, with my therapist, with my acupuncturist, um, their ability to like be there with me and like not start because the minute some, someone tells me something sad, if they're crying, like, honestly, I start crying. Like, how do you hold it? Like, I'm honestly genuinely curious because I don't think that I could, or I don't know how to. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think my answer is that I've learned over the years how how to, the how-tos and the how-not-tos. Mm-hmm. Um, because, of course, a lot of us get into the healing profession because we are wounded healers. Um, we exist within that archetype where we have our own traumas that we're working through and we're seeking knowledge about healing because we're processing things in our own experience, um, which is definitely very true for me. So when I first started my practice, I noticed I w- would definitely get very invested um, in people's stories and would get very emotionally involved. And I was getting so drained and I didn't really have a lot of good energy boundaries. And um, I think a lot of people in my field burn out for that reason pretty quickly. And so I've kind of cultivated different ways to hold space. Uh, a lot of it has to do with just breath work. And like making sure as I'm taking in somebody's story that my breath is moving. I'm not like tensing my body. Um, and, and then a lot of it has to do about how I'm mirroring back what's being said to me. So I'm one time I had a teacher early on that had this really great advice. And he just said, Rem- always remember, it's not you that's doing the healing. You're not doing it. The, the patient is doing the healing. Um, you're just there. You're just there standing witness. I often describe uh, myself as like a Sherpa. So you're climbing the mountain, you're working through your trauma. You are having maybe some like profound realizations about what, what needs to shift for you. Um, And I'm just there kind of drawing it out and handing you snacks and a water bottle (laughs) and helping you along the way. So I think just remembering to, to always, um, to always put myself, you know, aside as completely separate from the journey of the person that I'm working with is really helpful. And then of course, things like being able to take some deep breaths between clients. Um, I do a lot of hand washing in the clinic. So often when I'm like washing hands between patients, it's an intentional moment just to kind of like release whatever sort of emotional residue I took on. And then I think um, processing with other practitioners. I have a lot of colleagues that I can I can kind of work through some of the tougher stuff with, and that's been really essential for me too. Oh yeah, I feel like all of that advice we we've, we've been talking off here also about being moms is like 
really good advice for your kid too. Cause like Hudson washes his hands all the time. And sometimes if we have like a rough morning, I'm like, you know what? I think I got, we both just need a little hand washing. We just got to do this over. Sometimes we do a midday bath time. Cause I'm like, I just need, everybody's got to get clean. We've got to get clean of our day. <laughs> yes. I'm telling you water shifts everything. Like you just drink some water, wash your hands, get in a bath. Yeah. It, it, it's seriously so magical. All right. Now let's get into how acupuncture works because it has had profound effects for me, but I have no idea why. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's cool. I mean, luckily you don't really have to understand how it works for it to work, which um, is great because it can be hard. Acupuncture is notoriously hard to explain to people um, because, you know, there's kind of like the Eastern medicine way of explaining how it works, which has a lot of foreign concepts like chi and yin and yang. And then there's the Western way of explaining it, um, which, by the way, is, you know, acupuncture is an evidence-based medicine. So um, I like to explain both sides so that people can just kind of Um, choose how they want to think about how it works. So from the Western point of view, like what we know about acupuncture so far um, is that it works by essentially um, shunting your body into its parasympathetic nervous system. Um, So the parasympathetic side is like also known as the rest and digest branch of your nervous system versus the other guy, the, the fight or flight. Um, so I often explain your nervous system, like it's like a light switch. So it's either in fight or flight or it's in rest and digest. And, um, when it's in one position, it's kind of de facto, not in the other state. And I think a lot of people are walking around in a chronic low grade fight or flight nervous system, meaning, um, we're kind of primed through all the, you know, all of the facets of how our world is these days to be hypervigilant, to be on edge, whether we're, you know, in the supermarket shopping line and the person in front of us is taking too long and we're irritated or we're stuck in traffic. We're having that very primal experience of like feeling threatened, um, And so it's that, it's that stress response. And so when you're living in that state chronically and you're not really getting a break from it, um, your body is kind of de facto not doing the work that it does when it's in rest and digest. And when you're in that rest and digest state, you're doing all of your hormone uh, production, all of your anti-inflammatory work, your cell repair, your detoxification. That's like where all the magic happens. And one time it happens is when we're asleep. Like when you are asleep, you are actually resting. Like your brain is offline. And that's when your body is doing a lot of those physiological processes. Um, but acupuncture kind of puts you in that state. It kind of shuts off the fight or flight light switch and puts you in the rest and digest. Um, so in other words, it stimulates your body's own healing power. Um, once you're kind of in this state that acupuncture helps kind of chemically signal to your body to get into your body takes care of whatever it needs to take care of, whether that's working on, um, relieving pain by, uh, decreasing inflammation 
or synthesizing hormones or circulating blood or lymphatic fluid or whatever it needs to do. You know, your body has an incredible amount of wisdom and it knows what it needs to do. And acupuncture helps it get to a space where it can actually go and do the work. Um, and then we also know from a biomedical point of view that acupuncture um, creates these micro inflammations in the skin. So it is like when you get a needle inserted in your skin, it's kind of like a little tiny mini wound. And what happens when you get this little tiny wound is that your, uh, your body kind of like signals your brain, um, to send out anti-inflammatory mediators. So chemicals that will come like rush to the side of the wound and metabolize whatever sort of inflammation is present. Um, so that that's one specific way that acupuncture is anti-inflammatory. And we also know that when the needles puncture the skin, that the body releases a lot of those feel good hormones, like the endorphins and the oxytocin and the things that you might feel after you had like a really good yoga session or a really good workout, for instance. So that's kind of the Western perspective of how it works. Um, and then from the Chinese medicine, the Chinese medicine viewpoint, um, the way that Chinese medicine sees the human body is really, really beautiful. And I think very poetic. Um, it recognizes that all human beings are essentially a reflection of the greater ecosystem. So the big ecosystem that exists outdoors, it also exists within us. So in a way we kind of see your body, like it, you're just like a plant, just like the rest of the plants. Um, and we're looking for how, how that expression of nature exists within the human body. So one metaphor I often like to use when I am doing a diagnostic intake, which involves asking somebody a lot of questions. It involves looking at their tongue as part of that ecosystem. It gives me clues um, as well as palpating their pulse, which uh, is a lot different than the way a doctor does it. Uh, acupuncturists feel your pulse qualitatively. So I often describe it as like, I'm sitting on the banks of a river and I'm watching your life go by. Um, and what I'm feeling in the pulse and what I'm feeling when I ask you questions and look at your tongue is like, how, how is the water moving in that river? How's the flow of everything? Um, and when I say the flow, I'm not just talking about the physiologic flow, which would be the flow of your, um, you know, your blood, your lymph. Um, your hormone secretions, et cetera, but also how, how is the flow of your emotions? Um, do you have dams in your river? <laughs> do you have a lot of dams that are built up from um, patterns such as like internalizing stress, you know, people that tend to hold things in and, and stuff it down instead of externalizing outwards um, that those are types of things that will show up for Chinese medicine practitioners in these diagnostic methods that we use. And that's what really makes it a mind body medicine. Um, so we're looking, we're looking for the dams in the river. We're also looking for like, uh, is the water level too low? Um, is the water level, is the water frozen? Um, and so a lot of these things are kind of hard to interpret into Western medicine concepts 
But what I will say is that the two systems are very related. Um, And a lot of women that I see in my clinic that are coming in for help with their hormones um, are people that have a lot of stress. I think the average woman um, existing in this bubble of like pandemic and everything that's happened in the last few years and all the ways that our culture is manifesting at this particular moment in time. Um, we, we've, we got a lot of dams going on (laughs) in the flow of people's bodies. Um, so that's something that I pick up on very, very commonly, uh, with my diagnosis. And so my job essentially, and the way the acupuncture works is to move the dams, to unobstruct the dams so that the water starts flowing so that not only is that flow or that river that's running inside of your body, mind, spirit, not only is that moving smoothly, but, uh, kind of in a secondary relationship, the, the plants downstream from the river are flourishing, right? So if the water is plentiful and the water is moving in, in the proper way, then, um, you're going to have, you're going to have a really rich ecosystem. And if things are kind of pent up and damned and stuck, or if things are in a state of drought, then you're going to have a lot of decay and a lot of stagnation. So an acupuncturist takes the information they get from your body, um, from these diagnostic methods. And then we choose specific points along your body that have very specific purposes, Um, And that's where the medical art of it really comes in is deciding a, where is the obstruction in this ecosystem? And then B like, what kind of treatment principle am I going to use to bring this ecosystem back into harmony? So those are kind of two very different seeming explanations, but um, something that's cool that's happening right now is that we have a lot of research going on that we're learning more about how bodies work in, in, in the most intricate ways. And we're kind of as acupuncturists, we're sitting there saying, yeah, duh, like we've known this stuff for 2000 years, you know, like when the whole concept of the gut brain axis came into being like, oh yeah, all of your immune system is made in your gut. And there's this, you know, really sophisticated communication going on between your gut and your brain and your neurotransmitters. Concepts like that are like very essential to um, Chinese medicine concepts and they are very ancient concepts. So the more we know about modern research, the more sophisticated these ancient ideas are becoming, and it's a really cool time to be a practitioner for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting when you were talking, I was thinking about how the flow thing is so interesting. Cause I do feel like if you think of a drought or like the flow, it like you, it just so easily relates to like digestion or menstruation mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. so many different things. And I find when one of those things has a certain issue, so does the other one, you know, too much, too little, too hot, too cold, et cetera. Um, and I really loved hearing about the stress aspect because I find it relatable. So many, me and so many of my friends are stressed women. Um, can you just talk a little bit about different archetypes you see in your clinic of, of different archetypes of sort of healing of people on their path to healing? 
Yes, absolutely. Um, and I like that you use that word archetypes because, you know, I would say something that I observe very commonly is that, um, the biggest impediment to a woman's healing process is not that, you know, she's eating candy at night after her kid goes to sleep or that she's not exercising, you know, more than twice a month. It's not those things. Um, it is the ideas that she's internalized, um, from the world about who she needs to be. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you a couple examples. Um, something that, something that I see come up really commonly with women is this idea that we should be able to do it all. Um, we should be able to have a perfect, you know, organic, natural birth and, and very easily breastfeed and um, be able to like nurture our child, but we should also be a sexy wife and have a really high libido. And we should also have a really awesome career um, that's waiting for us on the other side of that baby. And we, when we are not able to do everything perfectly, um, which, which I think is a message that is literally sold to us by this like capitalist framework we exist within. Um, we are sold these ideas that we need to be beautiful. We need to be sexy, but we also need to be really pure and, and very selfless. And we need to be martyrs and we need to be really smart and intelligent and save the world. When we buy into that, we see all of these manifestations of dis-ease as a personal shortcoming. Um, so somebody will come in with postpartum depression and they'll be in a really difficult space um, and they'll be kind of, you know, taking it on. So, so not only are they struggling with postpartum depression and, you know, insomnia and their guts all messed up, but they're also blaming themselves for it being that way. They think it's their fault. They think it's, they're not exercising. They're not eating cleanly enough. Um, they're not meditating enough, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that is a very common archetype. I see that we should do it all. Um, another one is people pleasing, which is just like rampant. <laughs> it is rampant. And I say this as a recovering people pleaser myself, um, women, you know, somewhere along the line, we learn, I think probably from a very young age, um, that it's not polite or ladylike to have boundaries and that when we're called upon to come through for somebody else, like we have to do that even if we end up abandoning ourselves in the process. And so there's a lot of women that want to work on their health goals and they'll come in saying, Oh, I have chronic migraines. And I know it's, you know, it's hormonal and I know my hormones are out of whack and I'm having horrible periods and PMS. And I start doing some inquiry into their day-to-day -day life. And I start getting these little clues um, like, okay, why, why are the hormones out of balance? You know, um, well, they'll tell me they're working 70 hours a week, um, or their boss expects them to check their email on the weekends. So they're like 
in some way or another plugged into their laptop all weekend when they should be relaxing. Um, and maybe they don't have good boundaries with their parents um, or their partner. And so they're taking on a disproportionate amount of the domestic workload. And as a result, they don't have time to go for a walk or they don't have time to cook themselves some healthy food. Um, and so, you know, the people pleasing element, I think is, um, very essential to, to my job of helping women balance their hormones, because we can get very myopic about what's needed to heal, especially because of the like unbelievable, I will go ahead and say it myself as a wellness practitioner, like this co-opting of, of wellness and the marketing of wellness um, and this belief that like, oh, if you just buy our adaptogen supplement or you just, you know, buy these yoga pants, you are going to be a really healthy person and you're going <laughs> to decrease your inflammation. You know, all of these like ludicrous things that are sold to us, we get really myopic about what we need to do. And I feel like um, there's that, there's that saying, and I probably won't say it eloquently, but it's like basically, uh, catch, catch a woman, a fish, and you can feed her a day, but teach her how to fish and she'll be able to take care of herself. So oftentimes my job isn't necessarily like, let me put you on this nutrition program and, and get you on these certain supplements and um, clean up your diet. That's what people come to me wanting from me. And I think that's what a lot of people in the wellness industry provide. Um, but for me, it's really about zooming out rather than zooming in on, on the, the data points, I'm like zooming out and thinking about like, what is this woman's life looking like on a day-to-day -day basis? And if I can teach women to stand up for themselves, to learn to, you know, put boundaries out there with people so that they can protect their own time and energy. If I can teach somebody to do that, then they're going to heal they're going to get better. They're going to have the space that they need to do it because they're going to have learned that um, they deserve to make space for themselves and they deserve to take care of themselves. And so that's kind of my goal when I start working with a woman is like, how can I, how can I help this woman um, like recognize and identify some of her deep seated patterns and some of these archetypal female you know, martyr, people pleaser, overachiever, perfectionist archetypes. How can I help her recognize that she might be existing within those archetypes? And then how can I help her dismantle them? Um, once you've dismantled them, you've done all of the work and, and your migraines are going to go away and your hormones are going to be balanced. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I, how I, how I operate. Yeah. I'm like, just, uh, being like, which one am I? I think I'm like, I think I might be all three, which is why uh -huh. my therapist has a lot of work to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank and I got for therapist, right? <laughs> oh goodness. Seriously. I would be so lost amiss without my therapist. So amiss. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think all, you know, all healers, like I think they have such an important place, um, in, in my life for sure. And I think if anyone is lucky enough to find any kind of healer that is fruitful for them, like so lucky, um, like your patients, I'm so jealous. I can't be one anymore. <laughs> oh, 
I know. I wish Chicago's I too far of a commute. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Although, you know, I'm sure there's, you must have wonderful practitioners in your neck of the woods. There's a lot of people out there. I do. I have a good one, but um, it's just not this. It'll never be the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sweet. Um, but I would like if I, it's hard for me to ask for like, I know it's everyone is so individual and their treatment is so individual, but like, what is something you think like most, maybe like what, what does a people pleaser need the most? What is a, um, a, a over, you know, an overextender need the most? Like, like, what are these people? Like, if you could be like, this is what you need to do, like acupuncture, but like what else? Mm-hmm. Oh man. Okay. I'm up. I'm up for the challenge of answering. (laughs) I mean, I think, I think really what I would tell all of those archetypes, um, if I could like communicate one thing is that you deserve to take up space Mm -hmm. in this universe. You deserve to take up space. Um, you deserve respect from, you know, your medical practitioners, um, the, the people that you are in relationship with in your life, your employers. Um, and so kind of my advice is like, I guess, recognizing where the world ends and, and yourself begins, um, and really paying attention to where that boundary is, where that line is, and then doing whatever you need to do to hold that boundary in your life. And I say this as somebody that has a really hard time setting boundaries. So it's like, I'm right there with you as I'm also teaching about this stuff in my practice. Um, I think a lot of us have had moments where we've like, you know, we've done our therapy or we've had, you know, experiences and we've learned, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I should have stuck up for myself or I shouldn't have said yes to that. You know, I overcommitted. And so I think the key is staying in relationship on honestly a daily basis to where that boundary lies for you. Um, and then being honest about where that boundary is. And, and most importantly, not shaming yourself for having a boundary and for being a human. Um, Cause it's one thing to recognize, oh man, I, I really don't want to say yes to that. I feel like I'm going to be too drained if I do it. And then it's another thing to meta-analyze it, <laughs> which we all, a lot of us women do. We're like, oh, but why? Why am I so weak? Or I'm being lazy? Or I should be a better daughter or a better why friend? Do I, right? Why do I need so much? Why do I need so much alone time? Why do I need that? Yeah, exactly. Why am I so sensitive? You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, dude, you're so sensitive because you have a freaking womb, and you have the power of creating new life in your body, and and not just not just creating babies, you know, you might not want to create babies, but like women are the, the origin and the container of raw creative power. And I mean, that is awesome, but it is also a really big responsibility. And, you know, because we're not men um, and we're living in a very masculine world, if you think about like, just like the seven day work week, you know, 40 hour work week, and you think about how men operate hormonally, they're kind of like waking up every day and they're like the same. It's like, wake up, boom, same, same, same every day. And I can just hammer it out. Um, they're a lot more hormonally simple than women are. So in, in 
a woman's body, you're dealing with this monthly cycle and you're waking up on Monday and you're, you know, you might be ovulating and you might be uh, from a brain chemistry perspective, feeling very social, very outgoing, um, very interested in group collaboration. And um, you might have a lot more energy. And then the following Monday, you might wake up having completely different needs and completely different boundaries because you're in a different part of your cycle and your hormones are doing something different. Um and so that's that's the big challenge for women. It's not just deciding once and for all, where is my boundary? It's like thinking, it's like framing it as like, okay, I am a goddess. I am the creative force of the universe. Where am I existing in time and space today? You know? Um, so one way that I like to do that is, is literally planning my life around my cycle. So like if a friend is asking me to make a lunch date, I'm going to open up my period tracker first, you know, before my Google calendar. And if they're like, Hey, does two Thursdays from now work? I'm going to be like, I'm going to be premenstrual during that time. So it's probably not going to work based on what I know about my usual boundaries, energy boundaries at that time. Like let's plan it around the second week of, you know, my cycle if possible. And hopefully your friend is on a similar cycle. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like you really do need to, to reassess where the world ends and where you begin every single day. And then you need to not feel ashamed about it. And I think that's like another freedom we need to give ourselves. Like I actually, this is a conversation I've had with my husband where he's like, but last, like last week or last time you said this, like you wanted this. And I was like, well, that and I was like, that was last time I contain multitudes, dude, not today. Like that's <laughs> not just not the way it is today. Cause he's like very, he's like a Capricorn. He's very like, you know, routine, you know, and he's under, he's, you know, it's working out. He's understanding, but I'm just like, yeah, it's just like, Hey, like I have the freedom to change. Like, yeah, sure. Last week, that was great. This week. Nope. Never going to work. Absolutely not. Totally. I'm a completely different person now, man. Yeah. <laughs> get on my level. Like, yeah. Get on my level. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like the world is, we truly are living in a man's world. Like all of the systems we have in place, like institutionally, you know, from a, a career perspective, they work really well for men and like they don't work well for women. I remember reading a couple years ago that I think it was in the UK now um, a lot of companies are starting to institute period leave. So like when you're on day one of your cycle and you have horrible cramps and you're fatigued, you can take a paid day off of work, which I'm like, okay, yes, finally, you know, we need more policies like that, that are going to help women the reason we feel ashamed is because we're like swimming upstream in this world, asking for these needs to be met um, because we're told in so many ways that we should be the same every day and that we should have our minds made up once and for all. And if we don't adhere to those norms, then all of the scary words coming out, start coming out like crazy, you know? Um, and women are very scared of those words and um, we'll do almost anything to avoid it, even if it means lying to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, needy. And those are just all things that are like a part of life. Like, you know, I mean, especially if you're talking about crazy, just meaning need, having needs, you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Just having some needs. Just, yeah, just like needing to be a person, um, needing to survive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. 
so many people just do not allow themselves to have any needs, you know? And then something that's really interesting that happens. One of my favorite rites of passage is pregnancy and postpartum. Um, because like, here you are a woman that's tightly controlled yourself your whole life and managed to be all of the things to all of the people. Um, and then you have a baby and it's like, the whole thing falls apart and you're, you're confronted with this being that is that, you know, and your and your mama heart, um, is so pure and so true. And this being is nothing but needs, right. Just nothing but this entire ball of needs. And I think for a lot of women that really confronts us, like we are confronted with our own needs. We are confronted with the actuality of being a human and having distinct ongoing needs, Um, and for some people that can be a real mind trip and they can kind of like break down and fall apart. And I am here for that girl. I am here for the women that want to come in to my office and break down and fall apart and reconstruct themselves. Like that's why I am passionate about what I do. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like, I mean, I know that your work is very deep and this, you know, sort of like unraveling these cultural norms is really difficult and, I know because I've broken down in your office, people are breaking down in there. Like, how do you uh, prepare for that? How, like, what's your way of taking care of yourself these days? Mm-hmm. These days being the operative words. <laughs> or uh, old days, either one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's changing, right? Just like we are talking about, it's always shifting. Um, I'm in a different season of my life now as a mother, Um, I think as soon as I became a mother, I was kind of like, oh crap, I've been giving out a lot of my mother energy to my patients. Um, and I need to have enough for my daughter now. Like I need to be able to do my whole work day and come home and still have some, you know, juice in the tank. Um, so that was kind of a big turning point for me when I came back from my postpartum leave um, and I started doing like simple things, like um, not, (laughs) not being a hypocrite by overworking myself to death every day and not taking enough breaks. Like I used to do that. I would just see back-to-back patients and I would take like 20 minutes and shovel lunch down my face. And I wouldn't even take enough time to like be able to pee while I was at work. Um, And then I would be simultaneously working with women, counseling them not to do that very thing. So once, once my baby came, it was like the jig was up on that, mm-hmm. that anymore, um, which was awesome. So that really helped me um, get motivated to kind of like really check what my daily threshold is, like how much I can actually output with people on a daily basis. Um, and then, you know, outside of my practice, it's been, it's been a big year for me this year because I I moved to Sacramento in the beginning of the year. And then, um, because my partner at the time had, was taking a new job. Um, so I reluctantly kind of left my business, which I'm commuting to, by the way. So I'm commuting from Sacramento to the Bay right now. Um, so I knew I was going to be taking that on. And I decided to come anyways, because uh, I'm from Sacramento. My family lives here. And right after I got here, my relationship fell apart. 
with my daughter's father. And then right after that, I found out that my mom had stage four um, cancer. So it was a big one, two punch, like right at the beginning of this year. And um, it really was kind of, and I'm still very much like in it and I'm kind of working through it, but it really was an opportunity, an opportunity for me looking back now to radically re-envision what self-care means to me. Um, because prior to that, it might have meant things like, you know, meal prepping really healthy meals for the week and making sure that I was like showing up for my meditation practice or making sure that I was exercising a certain amount. Um, and I think previously having that kind of structure and having that kind of self-discipline for me was more of what I needed out of self-care. And then once my life imploded and, you know, I knew that having that sort of structure in my life wasn't even going to be possible because my caretaking needs, um, were being called upon so much this past year. Um, I just like let go of all of that. And I really surrendered. And I think for the first time in my life, um, instead of just intellectually telling myself or telling my patients, Oh, you know what? You're not in control. You're not in control. And you need to hand it over to the universe. Instead of just reading that on like a little Oracle card or writing it in my journal, like I experienced it and kind of a painful way where I feel like, uh, the universe kind of pried the control out of my hands. And I definitely got the memo and I was like, okay, um, I can no longer like hold it all together. Like things are unmanageable. And so what, what I have done in my self-care 2.0 <laughs> is I've started leaning in a lot more this past year into my spirituality, um, and namely connecting with, you know, the God of my understanding, such as like my ancestors, you know, mother earth universe, all of, all of the things that I see as holy, um, and really on a daily basis, making a practice of prayer, um, and really just like surrendering and acknowledging to myself. Yeah. I, I just really, I'm not in the driver's seat here, you know, I'm really not. Um, so I think making that a daily practice, even if it's like, as I'm in the car commuting to work and I'm having these thoughts or these conversations, like that's a huge part of my self-care now. And then um, another huge part of it is just giving myself radical permission to not be restrictive or punitive towards myself. Um, so like, there's not a lot of exercise happening right now. There's no, uh, there's not a lot of meal prepping. I mean, some nights, and it's like, I'm almost reluctant to say this because I'm an acupuncturist, but it's like some nights I'm just eating whatever my daughter didn't eat off of her dinner plate. And it might be like chicken nuggets. And I'm like, I'm good. I'll just, I'll have that and some cheese and crackers and like call it a day. Um, and so while on paper, I could, on one part of my practitioner brain could say, oh, that's, you know, really inflammatory. And, you know, this, you're not caretaking yourself and you need to be more structured. There's another part of me that has been so hyper-structured in the past and, and, and specifically having the type of structure that I, I really am realizing now has been very punitive and controlling, self-controlling, trying to control how I show up in the world, how I'm perceived, how my body looks, 
all of those ways that, you know, women, we try to control ourselves, um, that I'm really giving my per- myself permission to not do that. And so even though I'm eating the chicken nuggets for dinner, I'm actually in a healthier space, like in my physical body and in my mind than I was previously, because I don't have the constant weight of my own expectations riding on my shoulders. Um, so it's kind of an unconventional way to think about self-care, but I have to say, um, letting go of control and letting go of structure, it has been like such a profound healing gift for me. And it's absolutely influenced the way that I work with women in my practice surrounding things like, you know, nutrition and exercise and all of these other things that we like to do. Um, and it's, it's working well for me. I feel really happy. I feel like I'm thriving. I feel, um, I feel energetic enough to start the second practice and, um, I highly recommend it. Um, that's as much as your year sounds terrible. <laughs> your the way that you've dealt with it sounds amazing. And honestly, like the, when you were talking, I was like, God, how free, like you seem so free. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've been in situations like difficult situations before where I've tried to do that to like, be like, okay, like I have let, like, let me let this self-control go. But sometimes when I'm in a stressful situation, I, I feel like I, I claw on tighter to those mm-hmm. things. Did yeah. you have, did you have that at all? Did you have to like get through that part? For sure. And I want to, I want to be clear and like validate for anybody that's listening that sometimes that is the way mm. sometimes you do need to claw very closely and, and, and really get fierce about keeping up your yoga practice or keeping up your meal prep plan. And sometimes that is the way in certain scenarios. Um, for me, it, it just wasn't, and I don't know if I'll go back to being that way or not, but, um, yeah, I think what you're talking about clinging really tightly, like what really comes to mind to me is, um, actually after my daughter was born and I was going through a lot of postpartum anxiety and it was really intense. And it was like also peak COVID, which just, you know, we'll just add that in there. Um, so I was going through a really tough time and in that postpartum phase, like the first six months, a lot of my old stuff about like body image was coming up, um, which I thought I was not going to be an issue for me. And then I was like, oh, wow, here it is. It's alive and well. And I found myself being like, okay, I need to, um, without using the language, like snapback language, which I'm totally against. I kind of, uh, in a more subtle way, was like, I need to get back to being like a very healthy person and eating cleanly and, doing anti-inflammatory stuff. Um, and so I, I tried to cling to the vestiges of that structure. And then when I wasn't able to keep it up because I was struggling so much with anxiety, then I would feel like a failure. And then my anxiety would get a lot worse. Um, so during that time, I started investigating this philosophy of intuitive eating, um, there is a book of the same name that is actually, it's actually been around for a long time. And I had never read it before because it's one of those books you hear the title and you're like, okay, yeah, I don't need to read that. Like eat when you're hungry. 
Um, but that's actually not what it's about at all. It's it's really about the the myths and the harms of diet culture. Um, and it's about how to how to heal from from this mindset that again, a lot of us women are sold um, about like what we what we need to do or how we need to look. And I started following this philosophy, which was so unbelievably scary for me because step one of intuitive eating is giving yourself unrestricted access to whatever you want to eat. So as an acupuncturist, that's like a big no-no, you know, it's like, oh gosh, like you're supposed to shop the periphery of the grocery store and not buy things that are in cans and et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly I was finding myself at the grocery store buying like a king size bag of M&Ms, you know, (laughs) just feeling like sweating, just like, I can't bring this into my house um, because if I have it, I'm going to eat all of it. And that's what happened in the beginning. I would bring home all this stuff and I would eat it and feel horrible. And then I just kept giving myself permission to, to just do this. And over time, what happened is this really profound shift where I just stopped craving that stuff. Um, or I would, I would buy it and I would have it in the house, but I would, it would stay there instead of like, it would be gone in two days, you know? Um, and so it, it, it really like really by giving myself permission to have no rules at all and to completely toss out, um, everything that I had learned in school and everything that I've learned, you know, from like a functional medicine perspective, when I just threw all of that out the window and I trusted myself and leaned into that trust for a long time, it took like a year for all of this wisdom to kind of percolate through me. Now I'm in a better space with food than I ever have been in my life. You know, I find myself having a really healthy relationship with my satiety cues and my hunger cues. Um, I find myself not feeling like guilt and shame around the way that I'm eating. And I feel more confident in, in my body than I ever have before. So that's just one example of how sometimes when you stop clinging and you completely let go, you actually end up landing like exactly where you need to be right in that, right in that lovely gray zone that we always want to to land in rather than the black or the white. Yeah. And there's something to it of like, you know, behind all of the rules in Chinese medicine, I assume, and I know Ayurveda and all this is like behind it all is that your body has wisdom, right? So like it would make sense that if you can finally listen to the wisdom of your body, you'll feel good. Like that makes sense. Yeah, totally. All our bodies want is for us to listen and trust. And like when you, when you can tap into that, your body is going to let you know exactly what she needs. And it's a really beautiful, intimate relationship to cultivate that I'm still working on. And like, I will be for the rest of my life. Yeah. When you were talking, I was thinking a little bit about how, like, I do, like, I'm pretty good about like mothering myself. And I was like thinking like, oh, I think I've been like a strict mom for a really long time. (laughs) And maybe I need to be kind of like a fun mom. Like maybe... (laughs) Yeah, right. Maybe I need like a little bit more of, fu- of a fun mom attitude. Uh, you know, I like to think of myself as a fun mom to my kid, but I'm like, maybe like Rebecca needs a fun mom for a while. Right. For her inner child. Like, honey, casserole yeah. in the fridge. Yeah. Doritos. I'll be back at 11. 
Right, yeah. those friends' houses you would go to and you'd be like, gosh, your mom just buys this the best. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. And those always, in my experience, are the moms that were like, just kind of like, you know, the laissez-faire mother, um, which is not the internal mother that it seems like any of us end up being assigned to. We all get these like really mean mommies. Um <laughs> So I want so, the mom yeah. that makes like Mickey Mouse pancakes, you know, that's the mom. <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate chip. Yes. yes. <laughs> totally. We need, we need more of that. People need more self-kindness. I mean, above everything else, gosh, like give yourself a freaking break. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I completely can see, like, I feel like I, you know, I like, my, the way my anxiety comes up is in my stomach always has since I was a kid. Like I'm a barfer, you know, like real barfer, just always be thrown up. Like if I'm nervous <laughs> and, and so it really rings true to me that like, if you, if what you're eating, if what I'm eating is making me anxious because of what it is, I will, it will not be good for my body. Like, it seems so clear. Like it's the attitude of attitude while you eat so much more than the food. Like totally. Absolutely. And from a Chinese medicine, nutritional perspective, we would also say it's like the energy that went into like how the food was prepared. Mm. So it's the chi that goes into the food as it's being cooked. So like if you've ever seen somebody making a healthy soup, but they're really angry and they're kind of passive aggressively cutting the carrots, you know, dicing the carrots, it's like that energy is actually going into the soup. Um, whereas, you know, you hear people say, oh, when I eat at my grandma's house, I can eat whatever I want. And I always digest it fine. I don't have any digestive issues because there really is love that is in food. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would, I would also say that like, you know, to also frame your, your gut issues from like an acupuncture perspective, your, your gut has its own mind. And so from a Chinese medicine perspective, all the different organs in your body have like a physical and non-physical correspondence. And so the physical correspondence of your gut is processing food and the emotional correspondence of your gut is processing experience. And the way that our experience gets quote unquote digested is very similar to the way that food gets digested. We have to take it inside of ourselves. We have to sort through what is the wisdom? What is the junk that we don't need? We have to absorb the, the, the good stuff out of our experience. And then, and this is often a hard step for people. We have to release what Mm -hmm. isn't serving us anymore. And unlike food, uh, experiences don't have like a predictable timetable. And so those, you know, those, the energetics of those digestive organs are often like, I, I meet clients a lot of times with gut issues. They're still working on something from childhood. They're still digesting. They're stuck. The digestion is stuck in that experience. Um, and so it's manifesting in these really physical stomach symptoms, but it might actually be coming from, you know, like, a trauma or, um, some sort of experience that hasn't been reconciled. That rings so true for me. I, um, in therapy, I've been doing EMDR. Are you familiar with it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's basically working through old memories in a very like short way to explain it using hand, just hand tapping or eye movement. Um, but 
you can Google it if you're curious. <laughs> um, but um, in it, whenever I do anything, I get the immediate sensation. Like my therapist was like, how, how does it feel? And I'm like, I, my stomach is killing. Like I'm so, I feel like I might throw up. Like I'm so sick. Mm-hmm. And actually a friend of mine said the same thing to me and she's sort of this, we have the same kind of physical constitution. So I was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. obviously. Like it makes so much sense. Um, so much sense that you can't actually swallow it, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't proverbially, like your body does not want to take in that experience and it's rejecting, rejecting it trying to send it back upwards. Um, and that actually with these like trauma tools that, you, that you're using with EMDR, you're like teaching your body or creating new neural pathways to tell your body, like, you know what, it's safe. We're actually going to let this experience and the stress get assimilated and then it's going to leave and go away. Yeah. When it's a really, when it's a session that is like, you know, quote unquote, I'm feeling like it's like getting, it's working by the end, I can have the same experience and not feel nauseous. Like I'll be like, oh, I feel fine now. It's amazing. It's so amazing. That's so cool. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, Okay. One last question. And this is another one because I know their generalization that's really difficult. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, I, you are short on time right now in your life. Um, if you have like five minutes, like five minutes to yourself, what's the thing? Like, what are a few things that are like, this helps? Because I know a lot of people are in your shoes, like have five minutes. Like what's your five minutes of spiritual time? Like what, what are you doing? Mm, that's such a good question. I actually love this question. Because this is like actually my life where <laughs> my self-care has to happen in five to 10 minutes. Um, right now, for me, the two things that come to mind most readily are saying a prayer um, where I might just like ask for help or I might even visualize myself like um, when, whenever I think about like spirit, I think about like an old grandmother and like her weathered hands um, and somebody that I love told me when you're having a hard time, just close your eyes and imagine that she's cupping her hands and you're just putting your whole body in those hands and just like, just letting go of whatever it is. So I'll do that sort of visualization. If I have a few minutes, uh, the other thing that I'm doing lately that has been the most nourishing is, uh, seeking connection. So reaching out to a friend, reaching out to a loved one. Um, I think that with the pandemic and just in general, in our world, we've gotten so sequestered and so isolated. And like, as human beings, I think we just need we need like, we need physical contact, um, but we really need emotional contact. And so I will text message a loved one, or maybe I'll hop on and I'll send somebody a, a voice memo or a video or something just to let them know that I'm thinking about them um, or, or trying to even like call somebody and hear somebody's voice for me right now is the most nourishing this is not an ad for this, but have you ever used the app Marco Polo? Girl, I'm on it. The best. It's so good. Everyone okay, listening. It's <laughs> yes. If you're listening to this podcast, Bill, <laughs> do not delay and and downloading Marco Polo. This has been a lifesaver for me. It's I'm so on it. fun. 
It's, it's so fun. fun. It's just like these little <laughs> videos you can do and send to your friend and they can send one back and you see whatever they happen to be doing in the moment. Like it's, it's like being with them for five minutes. It is. And the beauty of it is that not both people have to be available to talk at the same time. Mm-hmm. You're just pinging back these little videos back and forth. And so if you're like a busy working woman or a busy mom and you want to connect with people, you, you plug in your video and then you go do your day and you, the, the best feeling is when you see a notification from the app that you have a video waiting. Right. And you're like, Oh yes. It's this little nugget that you're going to get of connection from like one of your loved ones. It, it's the best. I love it. So good. Okay. Great. Um, can you tell, I know everyone and if they're not, they should be, will really want to connect more with you and, perhaps even be if they're in the Bay Area or Sacramento come to Monarch. So can you tell us the name and just how to find you? Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to share my website. Um, and the website is monarchacupuncture.com. So it's M-O-N-A-R-C-H. And then acupuncture is a tricky one. A-C-U-P-U-N-C-T-U-R-E. Dot com, uh, and that has a lot of information about the practice, all the practitioners, um, has booking links for both of our locations. And um, then I am on Instagram, although I am not a heavy Instagram user. <laughs> That's also part of my self-care. And I know it is for you too, Rebecca, because you mentioned that recently on an episode. Um, but you can look up monarch underscore acupuncture on Instagram. Um and just basically not expect me to, to respond to DMS. So <laughs> if you do want to contact me or, or get in touch or have questions, there are links to my email through my website. And that's the best way to get in touch. Great. And we'll, we'll put all of that in the show notes. So if you happen to miss it, you can just check out the show notes. It'll all be there. Um, thank you so much, Anna. It has been really lovely talking. So good to connect. Yeah, this has been an awesome conversation. And I feel like just the power of two women coming together and conversing like this. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna have an awesome like rest of my day and my weekend. So thank you so much for inviting me to come do this today. Of course. If you are capable at all and you are close to Sacramento or the San Francisco Bay Area, go see Anna. Trust me. Um, I really, I know I recommend things a lot on this podcast, but I really could not recommend her more. Um, You probably already know that, though, if you listen to that whole interview, that she is just wonderful. Um, Yeah, so I hope you enjoyed that interview. I really think it was a really good one to go out on. Um, I know that the wisdom in there will take you through. (laughs) I mean, I know you don't rely on this podcast for all of your life wisdom, but, um, I know that wisdom will take you through and I think it is a really good note to end on for now. And please do subscribe because this is not goodbye, but a see you later because, uh, I'll be back. I just need a little time to get everything all figured out. So happy practicing. Uh, feel free to still find me on social media or email me. I'm around to chat, but otherwise I will see you later. Bye.